fitting. One of the key themes that we've been looking at in our study of the book of Acts is this theme of the church and how the church is built uh, and how it comes together and, 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 and what is the mechanism and what is the form and what are the dynamics of a church being built. And, and they're the same in the very beginning of the church, right after Jesus was raised from the dead as they are now uh, when God goes about building his church. It's not by human ingenuity that a church is built. It's by the word and the spirit of God. And as we submit ourselves to both, something amazing takes place. God builds a community of disparate people who are joined together around the person of Jesus Christ. And they love one another and they, they experience transformation and healing as they bump into each other and continue to repeat God's words to one another. And as, as the Holy Spirit comes in and brings healing and transformation, it's not by human ingenuity, it's by the work of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. And today we get a chance in this text to kind of look at how that happens. And before we read it, I want to explain to you what's going to be happening here. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, page 631 in the Bible that we're handing out. Uh, the blue one, it's actually page 533. I've got both of those pages up there on the previous slide. I want to describe a little bit uh, to you, though, before I read it, what's going on, because I think otherwise you're going to be a little bit confused about what's happening here. So the early church is in formation, and you've got different groups of people who are gathering together, and you've got what are called the Hellenists, which is the word for Greek, uh, and then you've got the Hebrews, which is the people who were in Jerusalem and the surrounding area already, and, and so they're... they're the Hellenists would be Jews who were uh, in the diaspora. They'd been spread out and they'd come back to Jerusalem perhaps uh, to visit or perhaps to live there. But they didn't oftentimes speak Aramaic, which the Hebrews spoke. And so there was this division in the community between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. They didn't even always speak the same language. And yet here you've got this community that's doing life together. And in fact, one of the elements of their doing life together is there's this high level of voluntary giving that takes place. They're, they're, the people are coming with what they have and they're sharing it, bringing it to the leadership in the church community, and then the leadership is distributing it to those who have need. And it's all voluntary. They're not being forced to do this, but because of the love they have for one another, they're, they're just, there's this outpouring of giving. And so as part of that distribution among the needy, there are these widows, uh, both Hellenist widows and Hebrew widows who are part of the community, and they're receiving from the distribution. Remember, this is a day when they don't have the kind of social supports that we have today in our world. And so if you were a widow, you were very likely going to be impoverished. And so you needed to rely on others to take care of you. And so uh, these widows are being cared for by the community. But because of the language barrier, the Hebrew widows are more easily taken care of than the Hellenist widows. And it's beginning to create a little bit of a division 
within the community. I know this seems like something so far potentially removed from what we experience, but we're going to see how actually there's some great lessons in this for us and how we live as a community. Uh, The communication barriers leading to this breakdown, so they're about to have sort of an ethnic problem within the community. Uh, And then they're also about to have a leadership problem because the work of leading this growing, this new growing community is becoming overwhelming to the original few who've been charged with carrying out that work. They're about to buckle under the load. Uh, and so uh, there's the, what's going to happen is they're going to share the leadership load and they're going to enlist Greek-speaking Hellenist leaders to be a part of the leadership process. And that's going to bring uh, healing to the community. That's going to bring uh, uh, just the answer to the, the potential problems that they have. So that's kind of the background. So when I read this, I hope you'll be able to kind of see this unfolding. So in chapter 6 of the book of Acts, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, so there's the pressure that comes from a growing community and adding new people and the complexity of that. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Or the word under that is the service, the daily service. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So the widows and others who were in need were at tables and they were being served. The distribution was coming to them. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint... To this duty. But we, the apostles, the ones who've been with Jesus, who have a specific charge uh, from Jesus, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permenas, and Nicolaus a proselyte of Antioch. See, these are all what it seems like Hellenist Jews, so they speak Greek. So they're going to be able to kind of cross that barrier and deal with the issue that's happening. And then verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So they're starting off and things are going well. The community's growing. People are being added. But there's this threat, a potential community problem. They deal with it. And then at the end of the text, it says, and they kept growing. Because they dealt with the issue that they needed to be dealing with. And this morning, what I'd like to do is share uh, with you uh, three observations about what's happening in the early church and one lesson that I think we can uh, really dig more deeply into. So the observation is going to be a little bit more brief. Let Let me share those with you. First of all, clearly in the early church, and this should be true for us, there was the concern for the poor. 
in this case, the widow, but it would have gone beyond that as well. In fact, this is part of the whole biblical tradition that goes way back all the way, you know, into deep into the Old Testament where the people of God are to be concerned with those who have less, to be concerned with the poor. So today, what a great thing, fitting that we've got our get going meeting from one to three today in the church office where we're continuing to build out and develop the ministry that we've had really ongoingly since the beginning of this church to those who are in need. Uh, we're calling them now uh, the agape teams or the agape groups, and, and, and I think this, the tag is love in action, and so we want to be caring for those who are in need, and so that's one of the ways that we're doing that, and if you want to join, you can be a part of that. This is part of the early church. It's part of what we said last week about how the temple is moved from the physical building to the community of people that are gathered together. And, and in the shadow of the temple, this community is actually doing what the temple was supposed to do, which would be part of the temple ministry was to take care of those in need. And now it's happening in this community, this new community that's going to be the church, that is the church, that's going to be called the church as we continue to move forward in the book of Acts. Now, that's the first observation. The second one is this, is that already you can see the interplay of ethnicities. So Ephesians says that Christ is our peace, and he makes us one. He brings together the different nations, the different ethnicities. And you see that happening already in the early church. You see the tension that almost always comes when you've got people from different people groups in community together, because there's different understandings that they bring to the task at hand, different experiences, different cultural sensibilities, all of that different language, and so there's a potential for tension there. And we often say in our membership class, we say, what a beautiful thing that God has raised up a diverse church here in this area. When you look around this community, there's a fair bit of diversity within our community. And yet at the same time, we always say, that takes some extra work because you have to do the hard work of crossing over the culture, cultural barriers that often come and misunderstandings that come when we have a different experience growing up or we come from a different, a different sort of uh, understanding. And so uh, that's taking place here. There's a language barrier that they have to, to deal with. And how do they handle it? This is instructive for us as a community. How do we handle these kinds of things when they arise? Well, what they do is they empower people who speak the language of the outside group. You see that? They empower people who speak the language of the outside group. So they don't just try to reach them from afar. They say, no, let's, let's develop, let's cultivate leadership that already, that's already part of the, the culture that would be on the outside. And so that's, that's something that, that we can think of, too, as we encounter difficulty or strain in our church community or in our home group or uh, when we think about this cutting across all different kinds of potential divisions uh, it could be uh, the ethnic one that we're, we're talking about here, but also it could be age division, or it could, could even be when we think about reaching different kinds of people in our community um, in some interesting way, you know, God has raised up people in the church who are in all walks of society and have the opportunity to bring the gospel into all these different places where we find ourselves because we speak the language. So, uh, you know, I spend, you know, my, my day job is, is a pastor, right? But what I really am is a cyclist. That's just kidding. Don't quite, that's not quite, that's my, that's my dream, right? 
No, but, but I was noticing this yesterday, that, that I have this unique uh, opportunity when I'm hanging around my cycling friends on a Saturday morning. We spend multiple hours together. I speak the language. I understand what it means to be a cyclist. And I'm, I'm there, and, and I can be an ambassador for God in that place because, uh, because I'm indigenous peoples, as it were, right, to the cycling community. And what is that? Where, where are you indigenous peoples? Okay. Where are you the indigenous person where you can translate the gospel into, into that language that would reach a new group of people? That's the question we continue to ask ourselves, and we find that it's true in multiple ways throughout our lives. It could be where, you're, where your job is. It could be your, your ethnic background. It could be any of that. It could be your age. You know, maybe you find yourself in a, in a new season of life, and, and, and there's new problems and challenges with that, and so... What does it mean to, to be speaking the language of the gospel into that season of life? Now, I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit there, but you get the idea that what they, they did when they saw the tension that comes with difference in community, they raised up leadership that could speak the language. And then the third observation is this, is uh, you also see a need for a kind of a spiritual leadership in this church community. Church community involves this kind of crazy dynamic where we've got spirit, the spiritual and the material. We both pray for you. Uh, we want to pray. The people got prayed for. That's what it says they were doing. But they also received food. So it's a combination in the, in the church community of the spiritual and the material together at the same time. And, and, and that can be a tricky dynamic to line to walk. And we have to make sure that we're, we're valuing both. Sometimes the material is getting overlooked, and you need to raise up a Stephen and the rest of the, the, the ones that they raised up to meet the material needs, just to simply distribute the food to the poor. Because if, if, if that doesn't happen, if the raising up of those new leaders doesn't happen, then the spiritual side, the prayer and the teaching that the apostles were focusing on is going to be obscured, and that's going to have negative repercussions on the church community, on its direction, how it's functioning, um, all of those things. But then there's other times probably when we need to, we, we need to realize that, that you know, the, sometimes the spiritual uh, is, is being overlooked, and, and so we need to hear, like in the story where Mar- Mary and Martha, you know, Mar- remember the story of Jesus, and Martha is serving, and, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus teach, right? Sometimes we need to hear the word of Jesus, what was said to Martha, where she says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. So we're getting too caught up in the logistics, the material side of things, and we need to focus back on the, the spiritual side, listening to the teaching of Jesus and, and praying. And ideally... All of these are wed together. The spiritual and the material are become one. That's the vision that God has for heaven, is that the two will become completely linked together, and there'll be no separation between the two. But in a fallen, broken world, we often find a tension there. And this community is deciding to navigate that tension. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you navigate the tension between the spiritual and the material? I, I find this in my ministry constantly. You know, am I going to take care of this administrative detail or am I going to 
spend time praying, right? It's a constant tension. We have to, we have to, to navigate that. And, and the way that they navigated it was they did it in community. The, the tension's in the community. It's not necessarily in a particular individual. Uh, and whatever the large group is or the home group or maybe it's a family dynamic, the fact that some tension arises like it did here in the early church is perhaps a sign that we need to make some decisions about how we function. Okay, you see that? A lot of times when the tension arises, we think, oh no, everything's broken, let's give up. But no, this is just what God is using to grow the community. The tension is what God uses to grow the community to a new place, to move them forward to a more effective organization so that they can be more fruitful. And that's what happens in the text, because by the end, it says they continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in, in Jerusalem. But the changes wouldn't happen without the pain. So they had a little community pain, and the result of that community pain was they made some decisions. What are the decisions they made? Well, um, some had to be willing to step up, and some had to be willing to let go. This is a really important thing that has to happen in all communities ongoingly if they're going to continue to be effective. Some have to step up and some have to let go. And so Stephen and his crowd stepped up and the apostles let go. And, and for some of those apostles, I imagine it might have been difficult because they, they liked the way they were distributing the food. And they did it in a very special way that they developed over time. And they didn't want to have somebody else getting in there and doing it wrong, right? No, you know, you got to do the vegetables first, then the meats, whatever it was that they were attached to, right? We become attached to things about the way we do things. And so then we don't want to let go for other people to take over. But this is just the natural part of the way a community develops and grows is there's these tension points and then some people have to step up to help out and some people have to let go of the things that they were previously doing. And I want to suggest too that you think about this within your home group, not just in the church at large, but if we're going to really have successful, high-functioning home groups, this process is going to be working itself out there as well. There's going to be this continual sort of recognizing that there's a tension and then asking for help. People step up courageously, step up, and then other people who've been used to being in charge of certain things let go of those things. And that's the way the community gets, it grows in its capacity. This is the natural thing. It's a healthy thing. And it's probably something that goes on and on and on in the life of any group any church community, you're never done. You're always looking for the next person to step up, and you're always looking for what you can let go of. You've probably heard of, you know, sometimes, you know, if you have a particular task, your job is to figure out how to work yourself out of a job, right? And that's really true. That's what you want to do. You want to work yourself out of a job so that others are doing it, so you can go on to continue to do the next thing to continue to push further and increase the capacity of the community that you're in. And so uh, that's what we want to be thinking about uh, in this. This is a natural part of the way communities work. But 
those are the three observations. Now, I want, to t I want to push this a little bit more deeply because I think this is tapping into something that's even more wonderful and more powerful than those things which are a little bit more on the superficial level. And this is the one lesson that I want to talk about. Um, and this is the lesson that has to do with service and serving, which is a very, very beautiful word. And the service of the seven taps into a deep vein of what it means to be human in the way that God intended us to be. God designed us, and then what does it mean to be a, a human, to live fully into God's design for us as human beings? Well, this concept of serving is very much at the core of what that looks like. There's a well of richness, of growth, and beauty that is smuggled in when you start talking about serving and this idea of serving. And so let's start with Jesus. We could start way before that, actually, in the Old Testament. We could go way back and do a whole theology of service from the very beginning of the Bible. We don't have time to do that, so I'm going to skip to Jesus. And I'm going to talk from Matthew 20, 25 through 28. I'm just going to read it. It'll be up on the screen so you can look up there. Jesus interacting with the disciples, and they're saying they want to be on the right and left. They want to, they want to, they want to have power. You know, this is their vision for themselves in the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Here's what he says. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Same word is in our text. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Pushing a little bit deeper here. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ is by nature a servant. That's what this says. By nature, Jesus Christ is a servant. That's what that's who he is. That's his, it's not only what he does, it's his, it's his identity. He is a servant. And the form of that service is to give his life as a ransom. Okay, so we're getting into the, the core of the gospel here. For those of you who might be visiting or you're dipping your toe into the Christian things or into church or whatever you're just exploring, you're seeking when we talk about Jesus giving his life as a ransom, we're talking about Jesus' death on the cross, that he, on that cross, offered the perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for sin, for anyone who would come to, to trust in Jesus Christ, that their sins could be atoned for. Now, if... Your biggest problem in this world is if there's a rift between you and God. That's the biggest problem you can have. I know we got a lot of other problems. I got a lot of other problems. But that's my biggest problem. And Jesus came to deal with the biggest problem. There was a rift between me and God because of my sin. He's holy, I'm not. Jesus came to, and his act of service was to go on that cross and offer himself an atoning sacrifice to bring about forgiveness for sin. That's the way that Jesus serves. Absolutely critical. And if you're exploring the things of the faith, 
for you at some point, you really have to grapple with the question, am I going to put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior? The one who brought about forgiveness of sin so that the rift between God and I can be healed. And now you have no problems ultimately in eternity if, 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 if God is behind you like that. So, so that's what Jesus did. That was his serving. Uh, that was his act of service. Um, so, so for us as followers of Jesus, then we are servants also. We have that same, we're like Jesus. That's what, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to be like him. So we're servants also. And we'll get to the form of our service in a moment. But I just want to point out how countercultural this is. That one of the things that draws us to Jesus Christ, that makes him so compelling, is that he's the king of everything who lays it all aside to serve. How often do you see that in the world? We talk about being countercultural, and that's what this series in the book of Acts we've been talking about. That's countercultural. To serve, to, 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 to lay aside what you have to serve to serve others. That's one of the draws that we find with Jesus Christ. The world upholds lords and people who lord it over. But in the community that Jesus is establishing, we uphold servants, those who serve, those who are willing to lay it down for the other person, even if they have a title or a position. The call is still the same. See, in in the church community, titles and positions are never about puffing anybody up. They're just simply about pointing somebody out, okay? They're not about puffing anybody up. They're about pointing somebody out. And it seems clear that in the New Testament, the early church, they had titles. In fact, when we get to Philippians 1.1, we read that uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, are writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Those are titles to specific people in the church community. And it was never to puff them up, but it was to acknowledge that certain people needed to be pointed out as the people who were in charge of certain things, who were responsible for certain things, so that the community could function. It was an organizational kind of a thing. And so healthy communities aren't afraid of those kinds of titles as I read the New Testament. We're not afraid of those because we're not going to be puffed up by them because it still holds true what Jesus says, that the, the, the one you know, who is really elevated is the one who serves, and we're not to lord it over. So, so all of that still applies. But if you don't have titles, then what happens is the very few people who do have titles get all the responsibility and all the work. I loved being on sabbatical because I got to get out from under my title for a little while. It was incredible. It was a great feeling. But, but we, need, we need people to step up in this community, and sometimes that means taking on a title, which is scary. But what that does, it starts to, it starts to decentralize the workload. The title doesn't mean you're better. It just means you're, you're choosing to serve in this particular way. So I think in this coming year, that's going to come up a little bit more, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that. And I, I hope that some of us can be courageous like Stephen and the rest of these, these, uh, these ones who were laid hands on. It doesn't say they had titles, but they were pointed out. Hands were laid on them, and they were prayed over. They were pointed out to the community. These people have a particular role. And I hope in this next season, some of you are going to be emboldened by Jesus to step up and embrace 
you know, a, a role in ministry that you maybe are not serving right now. All right, enough on that. Uh, what is the form of our service? And 1 Peter 4 tells us, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up quickly, but 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, as each has received, so Jesus gave himself a, a, as a ransom for many. That was Jesus' way. What's ours? As, as each has received a gift, well, we've all been given gifts. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So in the same way that the grace of God is attached to the cross, his grace is also dispensed through us as we are good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I don't have time to go through all the different kinds of ways that people can serve in a church community. But we're going we're gonna to spend some time during communion, communion praying into that and looking at that. We're going to give you an opportunity to take a step in that area during communion. But before we get there, let me just ask one final question. And that is, as we think about serving and being like Christ in his service, what is the motivation underneath the serving work that we do? This is a really important question. What motivates our service? And I was moved as I was researching this this week. I was moved by Hebrews 6.10. Let me read that to you and we'll, we'll put it up here. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And the words that I want to pull out there are work and love. What motivated the service in this verse was work and love. And again, I just found this very moving. You know it's service in the community when it feels like work, but you push through and you do it because you love the people who are going to be blessed and have benefit from it. That's the kind of, that's the kind of purity of work that we hope and long for and that ultimately is what God has for us as human beings. It's, it's part of what enlarges our soul to be engaged in that kind of work where, where there's suffering involved and there's, there's sacrifice, but it's done out of love for the other. Love for God and love for the other humans that are around us. That's the motivating force underneath the kind of service that God is calling us into. And what happens with that is every time we embrace this call, we're drawn closer to Christ. Because his work was to offer his life a ransom. He suffered in that. When we step into what might be in a very minimal kind of way, but still nonetheless an element of suffering for the sake of another, we're stepping into Christ's likeness. And that's good for our soul. We are like him in that. Uh, and in his death for us, you saw the kind of determination. It says that he set his face like flint. Okay, this is a, this is a special substance that when you said that, when you use that phrase, you're, you're talking about somebody's determination. It's, a, it's something that can sharpen a knife. A flint can sharpen a knife, okay? He set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was so determined to accomplish the serving work that God had given him. And when we're given serving work, we have to set our faces like flint to accomplish the serving work that God gives us because it's going to be hard. 
There's going to be challenges. It's not going to be comfortable all the time. But we do it out of love. And, of course, Jesus is the supreme example of that. And, and, and if we're going to be like him in his death, that also means we get to be like him in his resurrection too. Do you ever feel when you're serving, when you've gone outside of yourself and you've done something that you know is going to cost you because you're serving, it's going to cost you your time, sacrifice. Have you ever felt in the midst of that an ambush of joy? You know what that is, I think? I think that's the resurrection life just creeping its way into the world. If we're going to be like Jesus in his death, we're going to be like him in his resurrection as well. And we already, in God's grace and mercy, get to see the joy of the resurrection that comes with the opportunities we have to serve one another with work and with love. It begins to creep in. And so, God, we want to invite you to help us to walk down the path of servanthood. We want to invite you to guide us into the form of service that you have for us. And we want to invite you, Lord, to fill our hearts with a longing to work and to love for the sake of the people around us. We don't want titles and positions and puffing up. We want to work and love to follow in your footsteps and to become more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to hand out, as we go into the communion time, we're going to hand out a sheet of paper. And on this, you're going to find a couple of things. You're going to see uh, a description of the different ways you could serve in this community. And what I'd like you to do is to prayerfully, as we take communion, consider how God might be working uh, or calling you to step up in service today. How might God be calling you to step into service today? You'll also notice, this is sort of, I know it's sort of funny, but we've got at the very top the setup and teardown. And we've kind of taken a different tack on this. We're asking that everybody who's a member and a regular attender would be part of a setup and a teardown team. This is just like a chore. This community has things that have to get done, and that's one of them. So we're asking that that you wouldn't even consider that your main ministry. That would just be something that we all do. And then you would look at the list and think about what is God calling you into as you think about answering this invitation that he's given to us this morning to be a people who serve one another. So would you take and sort of reflect on that as you do communion today? Uh, when you're done filling that out on the way out today, after we, we finish the service, there's going to be boxes here at the doors. You can just point, put that in the box, and then we'll follow up with you and uh, see what opportunities there are for you to develop. If you're not serving, you're diminishing what God has for you in this community. And we don't want to see that happen to anybody. We don't want to, be, we don't want to lose that, that possibility as well. So... So please be prayerful. If we can help you, Pastor Dante would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you about figuring out where God's calling you to serve. We want to be, we want to be available for that.